Hello, hello. It is your girl, Truth in Love, T.Y. I am here with another installment of Truth in Love with T.Y. This podcast is solely focused on human development and awareness, relationships, life, weight loss, all things health, wellness, and relationships. So today, I have a really deep topic. It was brought to me by one of my clients who I had a conversation with about childhood trauma and trauma in general, just life and and unresolved trauma. And uh, it led me to report this, record this podcast that I'm going to entitle, I'm Not Okay. And I wanted to do this podcast uh, in addition to this person bringing this to my attention or or bringing this topic to, to the light. I wanted to talk about this because I have realized now in the fourth decade of my life that we literally all are just a little not okay like all of us are not okay to some extent and I want us to know that it's okay to not be okay um it's not okay to stay not okay but it's certainly okay to sit back and say I've evaluated my life I've evaluated myself and there's something off something's not okay Uh, Or to have someone who is really close to you, a good, good girlfriend or your homeboy, a parent, a family member, someone who has observed you in a non-biased, non-judgmental way, have one of those people say to you, you know, I've noticed or say to one of those people, I've noticed this thing about myself. Have you noticed this about me? And what do you notice about this thing? You know, you have to have someone. I always say this also. You have to have someone in your life. Who offers you pushback, who offers you honest feedback on who you are and what you do. Um, And of course, that person needs to also be receptive to you doing the same. But if we go through our lives completely unchecked, can't nobody tell me nothing. Um, You know, I got this. I got this figured out. You don't have to worry. You all are struggling with the life, but I got life, you know, by the balls. These type of people are usually narcissistic or some version of a narcissist or sociopath because they are so locked in what they perceive to be their perfect perception of the world that they lock out all new information. And so this means they lock out all new experiences. You can't grow with your mind closed. You you can't grow. And again, in the fourth decade of my life, I can say I am nothing like I was in the third chapter of my life and that was nothing like I was in the second chapter of my life and of course that was nothing like I was in the first decade of my life so it's a conscious choice to say it's okay to not be perfect it's okay to not be okay um and so that's what led to this topic um I'm not okay uh subtitled about mental health and emotional pain and trauma so In researching this topic, I came across a lot of really interesting articles and information. Not going to cite them because I'm not going to quote them directly. But what I learned was that the majority of our adult uh, issues, I'll call it, um, rather it's relationships or maintaining a job or um, how we relate to our family or friends or children. A lot of that stems from childhood trauma of some type so that can be the perception of trauma meaning maybe you were a really sensitive kid and something happened that just triggered you or or, um you know kind of stuck or stung you or altered your worldview uh, because you were super sensitive or it can be something that was literally traumatic you know 
uh, not shouldn't say literally traumatic, but something that was uh, um, extremely traumatic, such as abuse, physical, sexual, emotional abuse, um, homelessness, neglect, uh, these types of things. But another thing that really, really resonated in my research was the amount of childhood trauma that stemmed from uh, sexual and emotional abuse. Um, I've been in a couple of relationships. I'll speak about the um, the one that I'm farthest removed from. I was in a relationship with someone for five years who was... It took me a while to kind of pinpoint what it was about him. He was super uh, intelligent, researched, knowledgeable. You can ask him a question about anything from politics to human behavior. He gave the best advice because he was super practical. But there was this void in our relationship that, you know, after the new car smell of the first couple years wore off, I started to experience as emotional neglect in our relationship. I felt like I was being emotionally neglected. And uh, what I mean by that is he had an, this inability to connect with me deeper than inf information, facts. Yes, I love you. Yes, I'm here to take care of you. Yes, I'm monogamous in this relationship. You know, we were there. But when it came to peeling back those layers that naturally start to peel back after two, three, four, five years in a relationship, we were still in this sort of superficial place. And I didn't really know how to approach him about it because I'm thinking to myself, I can't really label it because I don't understand it, but I do know how it makes me feel. So I started out there. I said, you know, it seems like I'm trying to emote with you on a deeper level, get to know you below the, the the surface of this factual and actual intellectual man and I don't know if you this is me speaking to him I don't know if you don't have that capacity or if you're guarded I can't distinguish between the two and at first he said you know what I've been told that before that I I, I process love in a um, factual and actual way I, I have a kind of a hard time with the abstract aspect of love and um, I said wow First of all, I was happy that he had actually heard that before. So that let me know I wasn't crazy. I, I really am experiencing this. And then so it came to a place where I had to ask him, like I've advised my clients before, if you have an issue with your partner or you need something from your partner that they're not giving you instinctively, you have to have a conversation and, and tell them what it is you need, make it very clear and plain and ask them if they're able to, to, to meet your needs. And, um, most people will say, sure. If, especially if they want to be in a relationship, oh yes, now that I'm aware of it, I can do that. But sometimes like with this guy that I'm talking about, he did not have it in him to do that. And so I attribute it to a couple of things. We had a conversation about his childhood, uh, me being a mini life coach my whole life. I've always instinctively known that if you trace things back to a person's relationship with their parents, mother and father, and then what that relationship was like, you can kind of make sense of a lot of things that we do as adults. So I just asked him, what, where do you think this comes from? Where do you think it stems from? And initially he said he didn't know. And after a while, I'm going to say a few 
weeks, I guess it resonated with him, this, this issue. So he said to me, I think that I might know where this thing is coming from. And, and, um, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, let's, let's talk about it. And he went on to tell me about how, when he was a young boy, about six or seven, I think he, his mother was married to a man, not his father, who was very, uh, verbally, emotionally, and physically abusive to him. He would do things like tease him for his physical appearance or for the way that he talked. Um, he, he teased him about how he, how shy he was or, or how he interacted or didn't interact with people. And he also physically struck him. You know, he abused him. And it was to the extent that I don't know how long this relationship went on or how long this went on, but he would hear his stepfather's car pull up in the driveway and hide. He would hide in the house. And then uh, he spoke about there being this way that you can walk around the house where he could be on the opposite side of this man in the house. So he would hear him walk through the living room and he would be, he would position himself on the opposite of the living room. And he would hear him in the kitchen. He would position himself opposite the kitchen and um, this sort of thing. So he really avoided him until the very last minute, maybe until his, his mom came home. I really don't know. So that went on for a, a while. And then I asked him, you know, did your, did you tell your mom this was going on? What did your mother say? And I'm paraphrasing this, but his mother did not come to his defense. His mother was not, did not advocate for him. I'm not sure if it was because she had a child with this man and he was really good to that child that they had together. I'm not sure if it was that she didn't believe his account of things or if he didn't explain it to the extent that it was actually affecting him. I don't know, but essentially no one protected him. I do know that he also spoke to his father who was not in the home. And his father essentially, again, I'm paraphrasing, said, you know, do what you need to do to get along with your mother's husband. You know, he's a grown up. Do what you got to do what you need to do. You're in his house. And so again, I'm not sure if he didn't explain it in his, you know, seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old language. I don't know if he didn't explain it in a way that helped them understand how traumatic it was for him or if the parents were being just passive about it. I don't know that part, but I do know that this trauma for him was real and it was lasting. And um, that was never resolved. And I do remember there being a second incident with him where his father was married to a woman who wound up being uh, one of the most wonderful and influential people in his lives. But as a child, she too was neglectful and um, in some ways abusive to him, um, locking him out of the house, um, treating him one way when her husband, his father was around, but another way when the father was not around. And again, this is a second example of adults not adulting <laughs> on behalf of this child. Um, and that also was kind of heartbreaking to hear him tell those stories, even though he was much older dealing with the stepmother. Uh, it was still really heart heartbreaking to hear him tell these stories about how yet another adult failed him. Um, in my opinion, failed him. I feel his father failed him. And I also feel like his stepmother in her immaturity or what have you that led to her being that way, she failed him. And, um, 
And so he's telling me all of this and I'm like, okay, wow, this is giving me some sort of insight. I get it now. Got it. Cause he was never a mean spirited person. It was just, he couldn't get to that emotional place. Um, and so I asked him, how do you feel like that is affecting you today? And have you had a chance to talk to these adults in your adult state of mind and tell them how that affected you, how their behavior affected you and how it continues to affect you? Not so much for, for them to say, a, a, you know, to apologize for it or anything like that, but just so that you can get it out and off of your chest so that you can say that you spoke to your experience and you advocated for yourself when you could. And he said that with his stepfather, I'm sorry, with his stepmother, um, it just over time, I believe that it just sort of his sweetness. Cause he's such a sweet guy. I think that he kind of won her over and she eventually was like, you know what, this is a really good boy, a good kid. And that worked itself out. Um, but with his mother's husband, his stepfather, uh, he told me that he never really got the courage or the opportunity to speak to his stepfather in his adult mind, in his adult voice, and say, dude, you were wrong. But what did happen was he was at his sister's graduation or some family function, and he saw this guy as an adult, and he looked at him. The guy looked at him and was almost afraid to shake his hand, and it had been, I'm assuming, decades since they'd seen each other. But this, he said he could look in this guy's eyes and he could tell that he still had guilt or some sort of negative emotion attached to him. Like he should, he's old enough now to kick my ass for what I did to him as a child. And he was apprehensive, but my ex in true form um, shook his hand and, and told him, you know, congratulations on this or that. And he just kept it moving. Uh, I have an opinion about that, but I'll come back to it. Uh, with regard to his mother, he, his mother was, um, he was just at the place where he's ready to talk to his mother about that experience, I believe, when she grew really ill and subsequently um, lost her life. She died. And all of this happened while he and I were in our relationship processing how to get past this emotional barrier so that we can grow closer together. Um, and so it was extremely emotionally tumultuous, I'm sure for him and so his mother passed away without him being able to again advocate for himself and tell her how it what it was like living with her choice in a husband and um subsequently we never resolved that he he kind of went deeper into his shell and our relationship ended as a result of it um in terms of of how he responded to his stepfather when he shook hands with him at that graduation I think in in a passive way he did make amends with him he did give him eye contact he stood there boldly as a man and he shook his hand I feel like passively they had a conversation you know that was like dude that was wrong his eyes were like yeah dude I was wrong I was in a different place I apologize this was all nonverbal. so in a way I feel like he kind of sort of got his uh, his uh his his uh, point across to his stepfather but um not his mother and uh that's my first example my second example is in a more recent relationship where i was sitting watching a documentary about it was the r kelly documentary 
and um which by the way i was not able to watch the whole thing that was just so i was only able to watch that first installment of that docu-series or whatever you call that surviving r kelly but i was talking to him during a commercial break and i was like whoa that's heavy that's deep and um he just out of nowhere said you know i was molested at the age of three and again at the age of seven and it didn't make me crazy. It didn't make me go after women and, and rape women and this and this and that. And the first thing I was thinking was, well, you know, abuse affects different people different ways, but it definitely does affect us. And um, so I asked him, I said, well, 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 how did it affect you? You know, it didn't make you an R. Kelly, but how did that affect you? How, how did having not only being exposed to sex in a prepubescent age, three, you're a toddler exposed to sex, and you're a, a a first, second grader exposed to sex. So not only were you exposed to sex in your formative years, way before you were ready for it, you were actually engaging in sexual acts as a toddler and in, as a elementary school age child. I'm assuming with someone who was older than you. Um, he said, well, it hasn't affected me at all. I'm, I'm different. I'm cut from a different cloth. You know, everybody ain't, everybody can't do this. I just, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, I was so shocked by his, I'm going to call it denial <laughs> that of course it affected you. You're don't, you're not aware of it. Now I could have received that better if he had said, you know what? I really don't know how it's affected me. I've, I've not ever evaluated how it was affected me or I never had anyone help me reflect on how it may be have affected me. But um, he just said, no, it ain't affected me at all. I'm different. Everybody ain't got this. I'm this, I'm that. You know, made it really macho, masculine, in my opinion. And I'm like, this is not even about your penis and your masculinity. Well, it is kind of about your penis in that it is a sexual um, conversation. But this isn't about, this isn't time to beat your chest and, and pronounce how much of a man you are because you were able to survive unscathed um, sexual abuse as a toddler. You know, I'm thinking to myself, of course this has affected you, especially if you've not received any sort of counseling or therapy after it. So I could tell by his response that he was not, it was not the time to sort of challenge him saying it hasn't affected him at all. I just said to myself, okay, Ty, this is where you want to start to watch because either he's never had anyone in his life, like I said, no one has ever, he's never shared that with someone who he can then trust enough to say, maybe you can help me see how this is affecting me. Maybe it's something I don't know. He had never examined how it, how it, how it affected him. Um, is the only thing I can I can figure. But I said to myself, okay, start to watch because he is not aware of how that abuse, that neglect, neglect in that some grown-up didn't protect him, how that affects him today. He has no idea. And so I started to sort of watch his behavior and his tendencies and so forth. One thing I did notice with this person is that he had this really diminished opinion of women. So the first sign of that was he referred to women as female. And I know a lot of people feel like calling a woman a female. Well, it's a female. But I, I look at it deeper than that. I feel like if you refer to women as females and you don't refer to men as males, 
then that's that's weird to me. Like, why why are you referring to us as a function of our sexuality or sexual function? We're female, and then you're referring to men as men. Um, I just thought that was weird, and I dare say I've yet to meet a man who refers to women as females who had the utmost respect um, for women. It, it just I can't really put my finger on exactly the, the, the sociology behind it, but to this day, I've yet to meet a man who refers to a woman as a female who also respected women, fully saw them as their as his equal. So that was my first sign. He, he referred to women as female. So I said to him, you know, I don't really like that. Well, what, what's the problem? There's, 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 you're female. I said, I'm a female what? Because when you call me a woman, that answers the question. You are a female human, <laughs> okay? If you refer to me as a female, I could be a female cat. I could be a female plant. I could be a female screw versus a male screw. I could be a female attachment for the washer dryer. Like, it's too vague. You're not, you're not referring to me as a whole woman, human being, a female human being. So when I broke it down to him, he's like, oh, okay, well, I'll try to watch that. But I, I don't really look at it like that. I'm like, okay, sign number one. Sign number two was the way that he spoke to me, it was at times exactly like I said. It was almost like, listen, I'm the man, you're the female. So the man is the ruler and the leader and the decision maker and the this or that. We're the more intelligent, logical uh, species and so therefore because you're just a female you're emotional everything you say uh, when it comes to you disagreeing with me or having a difference in opinion or letting me know that I said or did something that affect you oh she's just talking out of her vagina she's a female so that's not a real issue that's a female talking out of her feelings whereas if he did something emotional rageful you know emotional then that was considered an appropriate male response. So I'm the wrong chick for that because I don't feel naturally that women are inferior to men. Yes, men are physically stronger than women. There's a biological reason for that. But does that equate to you all being more um, intellectual than us? Absolutely not. Does that mean that you're more capable of success and happiness than us? No, it does not. And so... You know, he, he, like I said, he had the wrong one with that. I'm, I'm going to break this all the way down because as genders, men and women have, I would say, equal strengths and equal with weaknesses. They're different because we do have different hormones. We do have different societal functions and things like that. But as human beings, male, female, I believe that we are two equal parts of a species, just two different sexual uh, entities, right? So, um, you know, this started to get into get become an issue with us. You're like every time you have something to say, I'm supposed to sit and listen and take it as the rule because you're logical because you have a penis. And whenever I have something to say, you can dismiss it because I'm just speaking out of emotion. Anything I have to say is an emotional response to something. It's not logical, right? So needless to say, this relationship started unraveling and unraveling. And I'm just always in my in the back of my mind thinking, I'll bet you that in some way, this traces back to his inability to trust or connect with women because of his childhood trauma that more than likely was was at the result of a woman. I believe that a, a female, 
uh, was his abuser. And I also say this because the way that he treated men and the way that he treated women was completely different. He was respectful to men, honest, you know, honorable, great conversations. Oh yeah, dude, you know, you need me to do, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all, all props when it came to how he related to men. He trusted and respected men. He did not trust and he did not respect women. And I, to this day, do not believe that he is aware of it. Why do I believe that he is not aware of it? Because of that conversation and his, the indications. But that conversation that says, at my weakest and most defenseless time in my life, when I was a toddler, barely out of pampers, someone forced me to engage in sexual activity with them. And I'm fine. I have no result from that. As a seven-year-old, I'm just figuring out how to be social with other children and these basic life skills, you know, how to read. I'm just figuring out how to conjugate verbs. And I'm also grappling with sex and sexuality or, or to the extent that I'm able to even understand it, but I'm okay. That hasn't affected me at all. Bullshit. I call bullshit. And Again, these are just two examples in my life, but I'm sure that you guys can think of examples maybe in the lives of someone that you love or care for or in your own life. The worst thing you can do is be in denial about the fact that you're not okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay not okay, but the first step to getting okay (laughs) is to admit you're not okay. You're not okay. Yes, it can be scary to have to delve back into those childhood experiences for the purpose of exploring and discovering them and then, you know, healing them. But you can't heal what you don't acknowledge. And if you feel like, again, I made a post about narcissism. I believe that it sort of kind of triggers you to be a narcissist when you're trying to always be okay. Because that means you always have to defend your your position that no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm exhibiting, no matter how I'm talking to people, no matter how poor my relationships are, I'm okay. You're not okay. Because if I admit that I'm not okay, then I got to answer the question, what's wrong? And then I have to answer the question, why is, why, why is that happening? Why do I feel this way? And then what am I going to do about it? That takes a lot of courage. And so where people who are, you know, narcissistic and sociopaths and I think sociopaths a little bit much but specifically narcissistic or or um self-serving people they don't understand that they are creating this negative life experience by not delving into their childhood trauma and um and the result of that those traumas and so that led me to um to come up with a few tips and tricks, not tricks, but a few tips that we all should be able to use to make sure that we understand why we are how we are. And if we don't like it, what we need to do to start to work toward being a person that we we are proud of being, being a whole person, the, the most whole that we can be. And so the first thing is, it's okay to not be okay. I just can't say that enough. It's okay to admit that you're not okay. Guess what? You are admitting that you're not okay is just being human. Anybody who says they're always okay, always got this. Oh, I'm never upset. Oh, I'm always good. You the problem. Oh, you be having bad days? <laughs> not me. These people are in denial. They're denying their 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 human their humanity. We're all all humans are sometimes not okay. 
So it's okay to admit that you're not okay. Another thing that we need to learn how to do is how to self-check. So if you are in a position where you don't have anyone in your life that you can process and and do self-inventory with, it's time for you to find that person. This person could be related to you, someone that you love and trust, but sometimes folks, we got to go outside of our immediate family and circle of influence, our homeboys, our homegirls, and get professional help. So on the surface, a life coach would be very beneficial. But depending on what comes up and what comes out when you do that inventory, it may be necessary to seek clinical assistance. And that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay not okay. So the first thing is find a way, find someone to process this with. Um, Someone you love, someone you trust, or someone that you hire, a professional. The other thing is check on your circle. So in your circle of influence, uncles, aunts, cousins, friends, co-workers, you know, whoever you, you have a, some semblance of a relationship with, if you see something, say something, there is a way to do it, of course. But just like with these, in these relationships, I saw something and I said something. I did not just sit in that relationship with this emotional void and say, well, he's, he's a really good guy. He's a great provider. We got all these other things going on. Uh, maybe I can just learn to deal without having an emotional attachment to my partner. Hell no. I saw something. I said something. With this uh, most recent relationship, I could have said to myself, oh, well, you know, he's okay. Everything's good. And then proceeded to ignore all of the signs that he was exhibiting that he was not okay. And just said, you know what? Well, he's good at this. We work out together. He's got two master's degrees. He's just, you know, I'm going to make it okay. No, I know me. And I have done a lot of damn work to make sure that I am not perfect, but that I am aware of my imperfections and that I'm daily working on the things that I want to do better at. And guess what else? I accept the things about me that are just how they are, (laughs) you know, and I accept the consequences of, of being that way. For instance, I can be a little stubborn, um, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, that, that's how I am. That's who I am. But knowing that I can be stubborn and knowing that sometimes I can pry a little bit because I love to just talk to people about their life, life experiences. So I know that I can do that. Um, it lets me know, okay, T.Y., now it's time for you to perhaps uh, back off a little bit because you could be triggering this person. Like I, I had to really figure that out. And so uh, I say all that to say, check on your circle because it could be that someone in your very circle needs to hear this. Maybe you've done the work and you've got this one cousin or friend where you're like, oh my God, girlfriend is just not okay. Or homeboy is not okay. They keep dating these broken people. They keep having these terrible life experiences. Something, this is just traces back to something. They're not okay. It's not a comfortable conversation to have, but it is a loving conversation to have. And like I said, you got to be careful how you have it. You know, the first thing you want to do is establish trust. So don't just meet someone and five minutes later, start breaking down how you're experiencing them. 
But you definitely want to say, you know, a friend you've been around for a while or someone you've experienced and watched and say, you know, babe, uh, dude, you know, you tend to do this or that. Did you know you do that? Or do you know you, you talk to women like this? Or did you know that your relationships keep ending within 90 days? Uh, have you ever thought about why that's happening? You know, what you're doing to make that happen? Or what have you? And so... Uh, check on your circle of influence. Make sure that you're even qualified <laughs> to, to administer advice if, in fact, you are going to administer advice. But one of the biggest issues with these mental health challenges that we're having today, these school shootings and these mass murders and all this, is that people saw something and said nothing. Oh, that's just how he always walks around school looking crazy in the eyes and drawing machetes and, and bloody people. No, that's not okay. That's not okay. This is a kid who's going to probably end up being a school shooter or something. We have to be okay saying something. And if you say something in the right, uh, with the right heart and the right intentions, it's not really your responsibility how that person receives it. So they may go, what the fuck you mean? I act like this or I act like that. First of all, that's a sign that you're right if they pop off. But, you know, they, 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 they can receive it one or two ways. They can either receive it or they can reject it. But you are not responsible for that. You're responsible for explaining to this person what it is you observe and posing it as a conversation, not an accusation or an, or an, or an inquisition. Like, hey, you know, sir, have you ever noticed that this? Or ma'am, have you ever noticed this kind of thing? <laughs> sir or ma'am. All right, so that is another tangent. So one of the things I do with uh, my loved ones and also my clients is rather than ask them, you know, how are you? What I do is I ask them, how are you feeling? Um, for two reasons. One, when you ask a person, hey, how are you? It's sort of, especially in our culture, it's kind of superficial. It's like, I really don't give a shit. This is just what I'm supposed to say. Hey, how are you? I don't give a, I don't, I don't give a. So that can, it, it can come off as a trigger comment and you'll get a trigger response. How are you? I'm great. Even if that person is suffering. So I ask them, how are you feeling? Because the word feeling kind of like, changes the question a little it's saying deeper than the surface shit how how are you feeling what's going on in your heart and your mind today um and i really get a different response from asking how a person is feeling and from wait for waiting for them to respond how are you feeling whoa throws them off a little bit how am i feeling you know a lot of people don't even take a moment to think or or examine their feelings it's all about their thoughts 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 Feelings matter or you wouldn't have them. So that's one of the ways that I would advise you to, to go about talking to yourself as well as talking to friends and loved ones who you feel um, need a little mental health check, right? How are you feeling? The other thing is um, a few steps on how to get through it. So uh, the first thing, I like I said earlier, how to get through this not okay to being better or or more okay the first thing is you got to do is is find the source of your pain your trauma that takes a lot of maturity intellectual as well as emotional maturity to say a i'm not okay b let me dig into why scary and that is one of the things that traps people in this cycle of not being okay and just having surface relationships or relationships that don't succeed either friendships or otherwise because they are terrified to go back to that dark place where they were hurt and they had no control over it or they made a decision that led to something that they're not proud of you got to go back to it to get through it um there's just no other way there's no other there's no other way you can't drink it away you can't smoke it away you can't gamble it away 
it is going to be there. So you got to go to the source. Um, these are the ways that I recommend you begin this process. The first thing is list your fears. Take time. Don't rush it. It may take you an hour. It may take you a week. Literally write it down or text it to yourself. These are the things that terrify me that I'm afraid of. And just let it go. Everything that you can think of from your child's eye all the way through your adult's eye. What am I afraid of? Is it dogs? Is it failure? Is it um, uh, poverty? Whatever your fears are, you need to list those fears. The next step is write down next to those fears, why? I'm afraid of dogs, why? I'm afraid of failure, why? You have to list the why to start to pick that fear apart. The next thing you need to ask yourself is, what do you do when you are in that moment of fear because of this thing? So I'm afraid of dogs. Why am I afraid of dogs? And what do I do as a a result of being afraid of dogs? It could be that you don't visit certain family members. It could be that your kids want a pet and you're just denying them this year after year after year. Um, It could be that you're literally traumatized by uh, just walking past a dog. Whatever that is, that's a fear that can be resolved and addressed. If it is in terms of this childhood trauma, if your fear is of emotional vulnerability, the reason why could be because at a time when you were the most vulnerable, you were not protected. You were not valued. You were not heard. You were not protected. And so it taught you to just stuff your desire to attach to human beings because human beings are going to hurt you. Now in a three-year-old's or a child's eye, that is completely illogical, but I mean, it's logical in a child's eye, but as an adult, we've had enough life experience to understand that, of course, there are people who will be here for you. Of course, there are people who will respect and love you for who you are and how you are. Um, And that will be greatly improved by being emotionally available. So list those fears, list why you're afraid of those things, and then list what you do when you are afraid of this thing. And so again, with this example of childhood trauma, I'm afraid to emotionally attach to people because when I did so, I was hurt. No one protected me. And what I do when I'm in a position where someone is trying to emotionally attach with me is I blank. It could be I create an argument to flee the situation. It could be I uh, am, I don't know what, why, but I, I shy away from it. Um, you know, whatever that why is, you have to know why you're afraid of it and what you do, meaning how is it affecting your life and your relationships? The next thing is write down how has it helped you? How has your fear of this thing helped you? And how has your fear of this thing hurt you? Is this fear serving you? So this is helping you identify it. It's helping you see how you're exhibiting behaviors as a result of it and then it's helping you put it more in a logical place why am i holding on to this fear is this fear legit protecting me or is it isolating me the answer is usually the latter usually your fears isolate you they don't serve you unless your fear is a falling off a a bridge you know well don't stand on the dog on rail or the bridge or is your fear of drowning we'll learn how to swim or don't get in the water you know those are kind of logical fears but if your fear is things like human attachment something as precious as developing a deep 
transparent relationship with another human being if it's if your fear is keeping you from that it's not serving you it is hurting you that fear is not serving you it's hurting you so again how has that fear helped you how has has that fear hurt you and who do you need to forgive so again sticking with one topic this childhood trauma Who do you need to forgive for not protecting you, for not being there, not hearing you when you were at your most vulnerable and you try to emotionally be free and attached to people? Who do you need to forgive? Because like I said in my story, the first story that I gave you at the beginning of this podcast with a gentleman who had an issue with emotional attachment, the ultimate thing, you know, the ultimate result will be for him to express how he felt as a child, tell them how it affected him. And how disappointed he is or how hurt he is that that the adults that he that were entrusted to protect him did not. And then for that adult to say, you know what, I apologize for that. I'm so sorry for that. Can I please make it up to you in any way? Is there anything I can do or say to make it better? Now, that's the best case scenario. But sometimes, as in his example, the people pass away or the person is not able to verbalize their apology. And so you have to be okay with in and of yourself forgiving that person you have to forgive them because guess what the person who abused this three-year-old the seven-year-old in either situation that I mentioned something happened to that person to trigger them to be an abuser so there's room for forgiveness there no you're not saying that what they did to you was okay no you're not saying that you know we're good. We can, you know, act like this never happened. But what you are saying is in order for me to move forward with my life, to be able to learn to emotionally attach to people, to, to have a better life, because I want to emotionally attach to people. Um, this fear of not attaching or being emotionally available is no longer is not serving me. I need to forgive you so that I can grow and move on. You have to decide who you need to forgive for the source of that fear. Even if it's yourself, genuinely forgiving yourself. The other question is, who do you need to apologize to? Sometimes in acting out because of these traumas, we hurt people. When you realize that you have been acting in a hurtful way because of your trauma, your unresolved trauma, one of the best things you can do as you heal is to go to people who try to love you and you're like, dang, that person was just trying to love me. That person was just trying to, to show me what life can be like when you do attach to another person. It felt like an inquisition then because I wasn't ready. It felt like they were badgering me or trying to force me to do something because I, I did not know love. This person is trying to show me love and I did not know love. So who do you need to apologize to as you become whole and heal from these traumas? And then the next thing is who comforts you? Who in your life, as you go through this process, can you sit back and go, whew, just rest into? It doesn't have to be a significant other. It can be your best friend. You just go out and have a beer with and go, man, you don't even have to tell him the deepest parts of it. Just go, wow, I'm going through it. And you know, especially with men, they tend to you know, be okay with surface conversations about emotions anyway. But you know, just find someone that we all need someone that we can just exhale into and exhale with, who is non-judgmental, who is a safe place, that soft place to land. If you don't have that, you need that. And I don't give a K 
care how much testosterone these men feel like they have running through their bodies. At the end of the day, one of the reasons that you love and need the love of a woman is not just because of her pink matter. It's because women nurture. Women are your soft place in a healthy relationship. And, and for the women, your man should be that soft place. But also women tend to have girlfriends who are more nurturing and we can lean into more readily. But we all need someone to comfort us, not just as we go through this unraveling of this childhood trauma, but in life in general, right? Which is a one, another reason that fear the fear of attachment doesn't serve you because you can't attach to even that person. This person is not even your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend. You can't even attach to friends. You can't even attach to family in a way that is healthy and beneficial. You need someone to comfort you who comforts you. Um, are you giving? Uh, another thing that we need to do as we process this is to pay it forward. As you discover the source of your pain and, and the things that you're acting out as a result of, when you see this in another person or, or when you see this in other people or look up organizations that allow you to pay it forward, boys and girls clubs, <clears throat> Shelters. Uh, you can even post on social media. Doesn't even have to be any major act. You can post on social media something that is just encouraging and um, that invites people to do what you've done, which is self self evaluation. There's so many ways that you can do it, but you need to pay it forward. You can't just say, "Oh wow, I'm getting good in my own little vacuum. Good for me. Sucks to be y'all." <laughs> you know, look to pay it forward. And then the last thing is. You need to know, like I said earlier, you need to know when you need help. It, it absolutely devastates me to know that the high incidence of people who need counseling or therapy or life coaching, and because they see that as weakness, they don't seek that help. And so they live their entire lives being just a shadow of who they could be if they had the courage to get help and to go back to these dark places for the purpose of turning on the light. You know, you can't reach the light switch unless you walk through the dark for a little while. Yes, it will be uncomfortable for a minute. Yes, you'll be scared you might trip and fall, but eventually you'll get to that light, you'll flip it on, and how bright will you be as a human being as a result? All right, so as I wrap up this podcast, I am going to just in my mind manifest it helping whoever listens to it if you feel like you've got these things down pat this process of healing childhood trauma down pat please share this podcast with someone who may not be okay you know again don't just shoot it off to the co-worker that you just got into an argument with and go hey this life coach got something to say about your crazy ass <laughs> you know it's better that you prime this person and say, you know what? I care about you and I feel like this podcast or this information or this conversation could be beneficial to you. I am going to be a guest every first Wednesday on a show called Chill Talk. It's on AM 1490. First Wednesdays, 9 p.m. with MC Chill, Cleveland legend MC Chill. I'm very excited about that. I am also hosting a life coaching uh, retreat it's called the Rapid Results Weight Loss Weekend. The focus is on weight loss, but there's a lot of life coaching um, there because as I just spoke about childhood trauma, a lot of times we are overweight as a result of these traumas or these, these barriers. So this weight loss weekend is a total of $399, which you can make in monthly installments 
of $99 or more. The date for that retreat is going to be January the 18th through 20th. We're going to be at a beautiful hotel in Beachwood. We're going to stay there uh, together going through workouts, seminars, uh, meal prep. Uh, everything is included, including all your meals. And uh, if you want information about that or anything uh, that I've spoken about, please reach out to me at truthandloveWithTY at gmail.com. Uh, I'm also working on a childhood book about self-image uh, and body weight. I can't reveal the name just yet, but it's very exciting. My illustrator, Rob Frost, is about halfway done with the illustrations for this book. I'll keep you posted about that as the time approaches. And lastly, I'm working on this really cool cookbook. It is a relationship guide uh, called uh, Cooking Up Intimacy is the short title. And it starts out with some pointers about how to bring back intimacy through cooking and then a cooking together as a couple. And then it ends up with a variety of recipes that you guys can make together. Uh, I break down everything from how to choose the best recipe, how to choose your, your uh, the best produce and meats, how to safely handle and cook these foods. I mean, I break it all the way down from intimacy, kitchen safety through recipes, and they're all wonderful recipes as well. So I'll keep you posted about that as well. Please tune in for my next podcast. And if you want to be alerted when I do record podcasts, go ahead and favorite this podcast, Truth and Love with T.Y., I love you. I mean it. Uh, I think that's all I got. All right, guys. Until the next time, I'll talk to you later.